32 counties. United by people. My name is Luna. And my name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we, on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. This week, as the divide in vaccine uptake becomes more and more evident between richer and poorer countries, we're talking to Robbie Lawler from Access to Medicines Ireland, who you may also know from his stunning appearance on Tommy Tiernan a while ago. What a dreamboat. Sick of social distancing? Why not get close to us by supporting us on Patreon? (laughs) For just three euro a month, you can keep this podcast going. So snuggle up, snuggle up. By, this is a terrible link. By so, I really like it. So snuggle up by spooning patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. It sounds like something out of The Simpsons. That's yeah, it, does, really, yeah. like, it was definitely a Simpsons ad. I'm into it. Hopefully our listeners are into it too. <laughs> United Ireland. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, let's go to State of the Nation. Your first State of the Nation entry brings me joy. Well, I feel like usually this is very political heavy, but, you know, we're bringing the good vibes because the common cranes, the peop- the birds that deliver babies. No, that's storks. Oh, rats. <laughs> Crap. Similar um, though, similar. Okay, perfect. Nature foils me once again. <laughs> Common cranes, those beautiful birds that are not the deliverers of babies, hatched two of their very own baby chicks earlier this year in Ireland. And it's the first recorded birth of cranes in 300 years. Um, it is the third year they've nested here. So there is um, an indication that they will re-nest again next year. And hopefully the crane hatchings are going to rise. Woohoo! And this, is, is this to do with re-wedding boglands? It is. Mm. It is our favourite topic. Our favourite topic. Uh, Yeah, wet them up. Whop. Wet ass. (laughs) Boggle. Sorry, um, I'm putting this into the state of nation as well. Did you see the sign language uh, person signing along to uh, Whop the other day? No. I would highly um, recommend our listeners and you look up this video of somebody doing sign language to wet ass pussy. Amazing. I do feel that WAP could be a really great kind of influencer um, campaign for the future of Bordenamona as well. I think wet ass Pete is a really great, well, as they struggle to get pu- public buy-in to their transition, um, I think it would be great. Cardi Bog. Uh, contact details can be found on our website if you'd like to discuss this campaign further, Board Nevada. <laughs> yes, we are available for very expensive um, and very niche uh, consultation. Okay, what else is going on? Oh, yeah, I was looking at this, the video of the skateboarders protesting in uh, Temple Bar. Um, they have protested a couple of times now. Um, uh, 14 and 16 year olds were brought inside and beaten up and had an ashtray thrown at their head. And the skateboarding community came out and uh, protested outside the Temple Bar pub. Um, And it was just a very heartening protest where they just were standing outside going, come out and say sorry. Like it was very polite and the demands seemed to be like very basic of like, just say sorry. Um, And... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so those that those that the details of, of that assault, there are obviously there are allegations, Alleged. obviously, um, when when the two teenagers had an altercation with security, um, and that is being invested by the guardie. So we'll see what the outcome of that is. But yeah, there's something very. I mean, like the skateboarding community is very strong in Dublin and elsewhere around the country. I thought, yeah, you're right. There's something so just like sweet about what they're asking for, like a simple apology. It also um, kind of highlights the lack of infrastructure for skateboarders. Um, in, and for teenagers generally. For teenagers generally. And that, like we have the likes of Weaver Park, which is amazing, but that they are being eradicated from the likes of the temple. What's that plaza place? Portobello. No, the central bank. Oh, the central bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, at least we have donuts. It's going to be a giant Krispy Kreme, which is such an amazing um, contribution to our cultural landscape. Uh, 
demands for the live event sector to get going are really gearing up, aren't they? Uh, mm-hmm. Niall Byrne, Niall and I had an amazing piece actually kind of laying out that it's over 500 days closure now and that this so-called roadmap uh, has not been published. I got a press release yesterday um, from the people who run Electric Picnic. I don't know whether it was MCD or Festival Public or who was sending it to me. Um, but it was basically like uh, 12 reasons why Electric Picnic should go ahead. Um, so, you know, uh, th- I suppose looking across at like Latitude and, and other festivals in the UK, um, now we don't necessarily know what the outcome of those large gatherings are yet because if there have been any infections or whatever, it will take time for them to show up. But, you know, the points that they're making that the people who are attending um, will be fully vaccinated. And then when you look at, uh, you know, the the sporting events, which are just have always been prioritised throughout the pandemic, like how many conversations were there on radio about when and where you know, football teams can train and and can have their matches and a lot a lot of them kind of actually apart from the initial pause, uh, even though it was very difficult, obviously kind of got back up and running more than than live events did. So, you know, having the situation where you have people in a stadium, I know it's a different kind of controlled environment. Um, but you know, the the live events you you know, sector is is on its knees again and something has to really kind of start to start to happen here. People need to know what the future of their bloody careers are. Um, on that, there was a Waterford Whispers yesterday that was like, clearly the government doesn't give a shit about women, young people or arts, the arts. And it's like maternity care is in bits, um, young people's uh, events, etc. And the arts are not being supported. Well, they are, but like in cages. But yeah, it's so frustrating. Um, speaking of things that are or aren't going ahead, um, I just saw a piece uh, about, you know, this whole ongoing stuff about communions and confirmations and different clergy are saying different things. Well, the um, Catholic Archbishop of Dublin has now told priests um, in his kingdom <laughs> diocese uh, that they that he's giving them permission to proceed with um, communions and confirmations. Uh, that's obviously against government's own uh, public health advice. Um, they're kind of giving out about there's been not enough engagement with the church and, you know, that they need to just go ahead with this. I mean, one of the things that I think is like kind of mad about this is that the church clergy are saying, you know, this is really important and we need these things to go ahead and the sacrament and all that kind of stuff. I have literally never heard a child or a parent discuss communions or confirmations in religious terms. It's all about rite of passage in a social and age kind of lens, the so the social aspect of it, getting the money, all that kind of stuff. Not so being left behind. But we don't want to generalize because obviously religion is very important to a lot of people as well. And also if we're demanding a roadmap for the live event sector, it's fair enough that we should be doing the same for uh, people who are sweating to eat their paper bread. Um, yeah, I think, no, absolutely. But I just think it's 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 funny that, um, you know, the clergy is saying one thing about its importance, but like, I would say the majority of parents and families are just, it's like a social event that was paused in the same way that like, obviously it's not as big for most people as a wedding or, or a birthday party or something like that. But, you know, this kind of thing well, that reason, kids have been... The Irish Catholic would disagree and that it's very important to them. Cool. Okay. Um, And now it's time for our main item today, which is a fascinating chat that we're going to have with Robbie Lawler about the people's vaccine movement. How do you know? Can you see into the future? I can. While Ireland's vaccine rollout continues to benefit from huge enthusiasm and take up uh, from the public in other parts of the world, Poorer countries have been left struggling to secure vaccines. This is a global pandemic, obviously, and it requires global cooperation and solidarity to create the global protection that we need. Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna have sold over 90% of their vaccines so far to rich countries, charging up to 24 times the potential cost of production. 
Within the noise of pandemic news and vaccine rollouts, story of marginalisation, fairness and global inequality has been lost amongst the din of when it comes down to a relatively minor concerns that individual countries can be dealing with as their vaccination rollout accelerates regarding stuff like when people can eat inside or go to a football match and things like that. Um, and contrary to the Gorge Finnegal social media posts we've overtaken the UK, it still stands that you can't solve a global pandemic through nationalist approaches. To talk about the people's vaccine movement, we're joined by Robbie Lawler. He is the co-founder of Access to Medicines Ireland, HIV activist and co-host of the Pause Vibe podcast. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning. How are you? Good. How's it going? Can you give us a bit of context, um, just regards to the monopolies the pharmaceutical companies have regarding COVID vaccine, uh, COVID nineteen vaccines, firstly, and then other medicines, of course. Yeah, I think um, to bring you to where we are now and the issues we're having with global equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines and just COVID-19 technologies, I want to bring you back to the AIDS pandemic of the 80s and 90s. Um, It was, as we all know, know, it's been 40 years now since the first um, cases of AIDS have been reported, and it was in 1981. the AIDS pandemic, especially in, uh, in the global north, where we're probably more familiar with, well, just white true communities killed so many people. And there was so much fear and trauma around um, HIV and, of course, AIDS-related deaths. Um, and uh, that was definitely the case up until 1996, where we actually where we got a um, great medication, the medication I am on today. The one myself and Veda like to say is like taking a tic-tac, basically, because what the medication done was it stops the virus from replicating your body, means your immune system can work as normal, and you can live a long and healthy life, okay? So we thought, 1996, this is amazing. The millions of people around the world will have access to this treatment, and we won't have AIDS-related deaths anymore. So that was the idea. However, that's not the case, and the reason why millions of people still died of AIDS unnecessarily is because of intellectual property. So in 1995, um, at the World Trade Organization, the TRIPS agreement was enshrined into law around the world. And TRIPS stands for Trade-Related Aspects for Intellectual Property. So that means that any pharma company that makes a new drug, they get a 20-year monopoly on this drug. That means that no other company can buy it, can sell it, or make it. So that means this pharma company who has this new drug can price it at whatever they want or whatever the market can bear. So wealthy nations had access to it because, of course, we are wealthy. But even then, it was a struggle because there's around 10,000 per patient per year for access to the life-saving treatment. But what if you're in South Africa, where you have millions of people living with HIV, and you're a middle-income country, low-middle-income country? They just simply didn't have access to this treatment. And... Um, what we know now is when 19, between 1996 to 2006, the medication that we had access to in Ireland, they didn't have access to in sub-Saharan Africa. And between 9 to 12 million people died needlessly. Purely because pharma would not reduce the price enough that they could uh, afford it. That is the simple fact of the matter. And that just should fill everyone with anger. Now, thankfully... HIV activists around the world had done their job and fought tirelessly uh, and used different mechanisms to reduce the prices of these drugs to increase coverage. However, that was HIV drug by HIV drug, country by country. It's a very long, drawn-out process. There's a lot of activism, a lot of political lobbying, a lot of uh, lawsuits by pharma companies to governments, uh, such as like the Nelson Mandela government being uh, sued by 30 pharma companies for trying to reduce the price of the drugs back in um, 2001. So huge, huge issues. Now, thanks to so much activism, you know, there is great global uh, rollout of HIV drugs, but many countries around the world still don't have access to the drugs that I have. So I have access to so many great HIV drugs and people who take the contraceptive pill kind of know you try different ones to find the right one for you, essentially. The same goes for HIV medications, but we have access to such good ones with such low side effect profile, which is great. But if you go to a lower middle income country, they've only options of one, two or three. So even now, there's still a big disparity. Okay. So, and we know there's been over 30 million deaths of um, AIDS. 
since 40 million years ago, so many preventable. Okay. Um, so let's go up. That, that was just a little background knowledge to where mm-hmm. now, because now we are in another pandemic. As we all know, as we've been all living through called COVID-19, and you kind of gave a really good uh, uh, intro there, Una. We are blessed to have vaccines now. We're quote unquote going back to some normality, although, you know, there's some kind of local strife in many different areas. But um, uh, Dr. Mike Ryan on a uh, the People's Vaccine Alliance uh, launch said, half the world think that the pandemic is over and the other half of the world is falling off the edge cliff, essentially. And the reason is because we have uh, ready access to vaccines but many countries around the world won't even start getting vaccinated until 2024. 2024. Um, so 84 of the poorest countries won't start then. Imagine in Ireland, if we didn't even start vaccinating ourselves to 2024. We went through a year and a half of heartache of COVID-19 vaccines, but yet we expect low and middle countries to do it. And again, the issue is intellectual property. And a lot of people think that the issue with regards to vaccine supply and access has to do with wealthier countries buying up supply. But you're obviously more focusing on, on the IP side of it. Why? What is the impact of the protections, I suppose, that pharma companies have around their own intellectual property on places that are struggling to access vaccines? Yeah, that's a great question. So. Pharma companies that have intellectual property of these vaccines, remember I said no other pharma companies can make these. So there are hundreds of pharma companies around the world who are saying we actually have the capability of making these vaccines, but they can't make them because they're going to be sued for billions if they try and make them. So that's what intellectual property does. It gives the patent holders all these rights that no one else can make them. So it's an artificial scarcity of vaccines because we have vaccine manufacturers around the world saying we can make millions more of these and and, uh, export them around the world. But you're not allowing us and they're not allowing us because pharma companies don't want to lose their profits. And that is kind of basically the crux of it all. Now, there's this thing globally. I remember I said uh, the TRIPS agreement was enshrined in intellectual property law in 1995. Well, there's one great initiative called the TRIPS waiver, and that's what we're calling on the Irish government to support. And what that will do is the way it will waive all intellectual property rights, just not patent rights. And that basically means that any intellectual property around COVID-19 vaccines is completely gone around the world. It's not just country by country, as we've seen uh, with the compulsory licensing around the world. This is a global um, uh, mechanism at the WTO. And this, this has been supported by 120 countries, including the US, which is huge because the US is normally like really strong in intellectual property rights. Um, well, Ireland and Germany and the European bloc is against this TRIPS waiver. And what that will do essentially, if these um, intellectual property rights are waived, it will allow for manufacturers around the world then to start creating this without fear of being sued. Um, well, another big part of this and something that we should push for completely is that lower and middle income countries, they don't want just donations. They don't want just charities. They want the right to be able to manufacture these vaccines and therapeutics and diagnostics in their own countries. And if the intellectual property rights are waived, well, then we can allow that to happen. And then we'll have capacity in the likes of Africa in the likes of uh, Latin America to create mRNA technology, which is amazing when we think about emerging diseases or how vaccines can be used for HIV or the Zika virus, as we're seeing. So this should be a global good, but not it's used for extreme profiteering during a global crisis. So this is something we're really pushing for. Can I ask a question? And I don't want to come in as like on the side of the big pharmaceuticals. Here's Andrea with her big purse. But like... (laughs) Let's say if I made the technology and I spent years developing it, I invested in it, I had like my teams, I paid them for years, I paid for the labs, I blah, 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 spent a fortune. Is it not fair enough that then I would be able to be like, hey, I spent all this money, like no way, Jose, am I giving it away? That is a great question. And I almost feel like I planted it on you because (laughs) this is one of Pharma's uh, big pushbacks and it's just completely untrue. Like the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, 97% of it was funded by taxpayers. 
97%. So they didn't even put in the investment, but yet they got all the intellectual property. Why? Because it's, it's really interesting, not to get conspiratorial here, because this is actually well written about. Um, actually, Oxford did want to not patent it and to make it a public uh, good. But Bill Gates came in and intervened. And honestly, he's a, he's, um, although he works in global health, obviously his money is an intellectual property. Like, look where he gets his money. And so he's a real... Um, and, and he actually intervened and made sure that they did actually patent this. So it's not a global public good. However, they did say that they're not going to profit from it during the pandemic. However, we have seen slips in that already. And these contracts are really uh, not transparent about how much individual countries are paying for these vaccines. And they have the right then to up the price whenever they deem the pandemic to be over, AstraZeneca, not when the World Health Organization would deem it over. So that's a big one. Then we think of Moderna, basically funded by the National Institute of Health, which is taxpayers' money. So it's all taxpayers' money that made into the research and development of these vaccines. But pharma companies are quite good at doing clinical trials, like public health institutes aren't really, but we're the ones who do real blue sky research, the risky research with public health money, uh, with, uh, I should say public taxpayers' money. Pharma do the clinical trials, they get the patent for 20 years. And what's really interesting is you don't see one venture capitalist in the world who puts billions into a project and doesn't ask for a stake back. That's what we do. That's what our governments do when it comes to the research, development of new drugs. Um, so, uh, so pharma, so, and, and we have to kind of let go of this poor pharma narrative. Do you know, uh, we used to call it a blockbuster drug in the pharmaceutical company making sales of one billion. What The Intercept has recently come out to show, well, it was back in March, that um, Pfizer is going to make, is it nine billion in sales overall or four billion in of 15 billion sales overall, but 4 billion in purely profit. And Moderna is the exact same with billions and so is AstraZeneca. They've already made their billions from publicly funded research and development. So why are our, why are our governments then so against this TRIPS waiver? Exactly. So what they would think, this is a great question. And it's a question that I want governments to really self-reflect on. Uh, they really need to self-reflect and we need to push it. They get the pharma lobby. We know the research has showed that um, pharma have upped their lobbying uh, expenses by hundreds, uh, by, by millions, maybe not hundreds of millions, by millions and millions, millions. And every time one campaign group lobbies the government, pharma lobbied them a thousand times. And in Ireland, we have like there's lots of big pharma are based here in Ireland, but we shouldn't see that as a negative. We should see that as leverage. We should see that as leverage to use our stage on the global stage. And what all pharma here and a relationship with pharma do say you've made your billions with publicly funded research. Um, now is time for the TRIPS waiver and now is time for you to share the technical know-how for other pharma companies around the world to make, this, uh, to make these treatments, to make these vaccines. That's what we need to do. But the government aren't doing that. And a lot of the time when we lobby politicians or what politicians that we're hearing from, such as Michal Martin and Leo Racker, they're saying intellectual property is not a barrier here. And if they say that to you, they're doing one of two things. One, they're misleaded. They're being the pharma saying, if you don't, uh, if you don't give us intellectual property, we'll never have innovation again, blah, 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 even though it's all publicly funded or mainly publicly funded. So they're being misleaded. Secondly, if they say that to you, they're lying to you because there's not one health group uh, that doesn't say intellectual property hasn't been a barrier to access to global, uh, to, um, global vaccines around the world. And there's 120 countries who sponsor the TRIPS waiver. The majority are lower and middle income countries who are hit time and time again by access to treatment because of intellectual property. Um, and uh, so, so this is what our government is saying. And, uh, and unfortunately, they're under stress. And you were talking about it last week, Andrea, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in a country full of lobbyists. Well, people have to know that the best lobbyists and the best um, people who can make change are the voters. But we need to do it in mass to make them change and show what the public priority is. And that's why the People's uh, Vaccine Alliance is so important in this country. And I hope that everyone can support it. And, and, and I suppose that's why I'm here today to, a little bit, to appeal to the humanity of that. Tell us a little bit about that alliance. What's the crack with it? 
Yeah, so um, it, uh, it's set up over the last uh, month or two. And basically, it's big health organizations in Ireland who came together because we understand the devastation this is causing across the world. So we had the likes of Oxfam or ActionAid Ireland, Kovlov, Irish Global, for, for, uh, Irish Global Health Network, sorry, and Access to Medicines Ireland, which I'm part of. And we all see from our friends around the world the devastation this is causing. It is collapsing health systems around the world. It is devastating families. In Ireland, we had the PUP payments. They don't have that in Uganda. It's either you go out to work or your family starve. That's it, even if you are ill. Um, economies are being devastated all over the world. Governments are collapsing all over the world. And uh, we came together because we knew that the strength in numbers and strength in power and strength in, I suppose, uh, in, in, in our outreach to the public who know that this is, that we're not lying to them, that basically. And we, we, we have contacts within the government and we thought we'd be stronger together. You can look at the work we are doing on uh, peoplesvaccine.ie. And on that, it gives you very simple things that you can do to help us in this fight and to kind of make the world a more fair and equitable place. And for us not to prolong this pandemic longer than it needs to be, um, I know we've all heard it before, but it needs to be said, no one is safe till everyone's safe. Because if we're not going to get everyone vaccinated to 2025 in Africa, let's say, new variants are going to come up. They're going to pop back over. We're going to have to go through loads of rigmarole again. It might be a deadlier virus, more transmissible one. It might evade the, um, our uh, vaccines and protection that we get. So it just it's a self-defeat in policy, basically, not to act upon this now and not to scale up manufacturing now. It may take a few months, not as long as Pharma said it will take, but we need to act now. So the People's Vaccine Alliance, we're, we're working hard together to do this. So a few of the steps you can do, I'm probably jumping ahead of your questions here, but... Um, Actually, can I just ask one thing before we say what you can do? Is that okay? Yeah. Um, how do... how About the comms on, on this stuff and the messaging on it, because I know a lot of people who are obviously critical of any like massive, massively profiteering industry like Big Pharma... Um, had this weird conflict, I suppose, when all of the vaccine development and research was happening, where you found yourself kind of cheerleading for these massive like companies going like, I really hope they make a vaccine, but then also knowing full well how this industry operates um, and how devastating certain pharmaceutical quote unquote innovations have been from creating the contemporary opiate crisis in the States or, you know, discovering uh, really vital drugs that people need and then like jacking up prices to benefit shareholders. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned like the Bill Gates aspect of it there. And yet at the same time, there is so much misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy around pharmaceutical companies that is not valid. Whereas the crit other criticisms that are actually targeting their profiteering and their total protectionism and stuff around their IP are. So how can we actually have this conversation openly without fueling things that actually are completely inaccurate or conspiratorial. I, I have a lot of these talks. Um, unfortunately, my brother is an anti-vaxxer and sometimes it just breaks my heart having chats because there's no talking to him. But a lot of what feeds into it is just anger and conspiracy of pharma companies. I'm like, if you're going to be anger, angry of pharma, be angry for the right reasons. You know, none of this like crap that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's, I know people who work in the pharma industry and they work so hard because they really want to get the best medicines out there for people. So this isn't a crack at people who work in the pharmaceutical industry at all. This is the game in which they are playing. And this is trade policies in which we need to fight for because pharma companies, they're doing their job by boosting up these and by doing intellectual property because within the CEO's contract, their number one goal is to maximize profits, maximize profits for their shareholders. That's their number one goal. Because that's the game in which we allow them to play. So I, I, that's a, it's a really good one. I don't really have the answer myself to that. But I do think one big failing, I suppose, of the, the activism part that we do is that when you say intellectual property rights, people go, oh, I don't understand that. Blah, blah, blah. It may seem too technical. Um, we need to hear from the people who do not have access to treatment. 
because that's what it ultimately comes down to, you know, and it's not just people not having access to COVID vaccines around the world. We have seen people who didn't have access to or can be the cystic fibrosis drug, Luxterna, the gene therapy to help fight blindness. Um, uh, Savasvivir, the cure for hep C, we had to ration out because of the high prices, you know, so really real issues, a Pembro for cervical cancer, really real issues we hear time and time again in Ireland, even still, because of these. And they're the ones who can really push it. But unfortunately, and, and maybe for them rightly so, they say, HSE, why won't you pay for this? This will save me. Rather than pharma, why you caught pricing this so high in the first place? We mm. need to change the argument and to um, use the different tools we have to reduce the prices and put the spotlight on pharma, not on the HSE who have work within a limited budget. For example, uh, Susan Smith, who is the health editor in the uh, Sunday Business Poster, was in 2019, in January, uh, in February, she's like, we're already nearly exhausted our drug budget, the HSE drug budget. And that was two months into the year. So even in Ireland, we're running out of money because they just keep jacking up the price. Do you actually look at a graph of the drug price trajectory of medicines over the years? It's gone way, way, way up. And we only expect it to go up, up, up. So from not even just from this pandemic point of view, but from our own HSC and the opportunity costs that come with high cost of medicines, we need to tackle this at a world trade organization level. And we need to get Ireland on board to uh, collaborate with other countries around the world, which, which are fighting for this. And I'm gonna make a point here as well. What use is the World Trade Organization if during a global pandemic, they are not using every power they can to ensure that there's fair global access to uh, COVID-19 technologies. And if 120 countries, lower and middle income and high income countries have come together to sponsor this bill or support this bill, and yet uh, the EU is allowed to filibuster the text-based negotiations of WTO, what use is that? And I think it will really make countries saying, well, I'm not going to interact in this policy and this policy. And it will, I think it will shape the core of the usefulness of the WTO working on a global level going forward. So it's in everyone's interest, except for farmers. It's in everyone's interest for us to do the TRIPS waiver and to make sure that pharma share their know-how. Well, for some reason, they're not listening in Europe specifically, and we have to make them listen. And that is our call to action. I think it's so funny as well, because don't you know when you see the US and their health service and you hear all the stories of the price of insulin being jacked up and people mm -hmm. can't afford their insulin treatment. And this is exactly the same thing that's happening and Europe are the ones blocking it. And we kind of think that it's, oh, the US and their health service is so in bits and like this is actually happening in Europe. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And um, so remember I said we get a 20 year monopoly patent holders on it. Well, pharma companies have gotten very good at extending patents, putting patents on like hundreds of different patents on one drug. So it's not just 20 year monopolies. They extended out by so long. And that's what we've seen with insulin. They kind of changed the formulation or the change uh, the indication for insulin. So they keep getting to increase because insulin's been around 100 years. Why is this still patented? Why is this still allowed to be increased? It's a really, really broken system. Um, even the EpiPen in Ireland, you know, we see examples time and time again. And again, pharma are just doing their job, but it's our job to make sure that we actually have a fairer system. And this isn't fringe ideas. So there are ways that we can change the system that have been supported by the World Health Organization or the UN high-level paper on access to medicines and health groups all around the world. So there are actually are different economic models in which we can incentivize research and development, but isn't patent driven. Mm -hmm. And also what we, we do see, and, and uh, Una, I saw you do quotation marks when you say about innovation and patent, and that's a really good question. Does intellectual property lead to more innovation of drugs? And the answer is very shaky. Like the likes of Marina Mazzucato and Joseph Stiglitz, the Nobel uh, winner for economics says, actually intellectual property stifles innovation because why would pharma put all this money into risky research, innovative research, when they can just slightly tweak a drug and get a 20 year patent on that? And yeah. we've seen that now with loads of cancer drugs coming out. They only slightly increase the quality of life and potentially will increase um, your longevity in life, potentially, but yet they get 20 years market value and they get to increase the price. And because that's the new drug out, that's what's being prescribed. So that's, that's what it leads to. It's the, um, the public, it's the universities 
that do all the risky blue sky research because we're not afraid to say this is risky, but this is worthwhile doing. And you must ask ourselves, where did mRNA come from anyways? This whole technology, it came from universities, public money. Okay, so what can we do? What, what is like the, our listeners going to do today to make this end? Well, first of all, just talk to people about this issue because I think we need to burst this bubble that it's over for us. Um, it's going to come back to bite us in the ass. Um, so I, I'd, I'd recommend that. I would also say that um, educate yourself more in it. For example, you probably all follow uh, Maho Riveras on Twitter. She's Paraguayan, uh, from Paraguay, Cork, and she's a great activist for access to medicines. And her whole family in Paraguay, they don't have access to the treatment they do. So really listen to her story and understand the urgency behind this. She's done a re- great podcast on Irish Global Health Network, uh, global health talks it's really worthwhile listening to um go on to the people's vaccine.ie and there are a few steps you can do one is to sign in a petition that's it we've all done that but we all know that they can work when they have lots of signatories so do that uh, you can do that now it takes two seconds the other thing you can do is just this tweet function of tweeting your tds because the doll is in recess currently at the moment so they may not be in office but i tell you now they're all on twitter um, so what you can do is uh, you can just put in your constituency, it finds your TDs for you, and it has this pre-programmed tweet you can send out that's like, this is an important issue, why aren't you um, supporting a, tr- uh, a people's vaccine? That takes two seconds as well. Third is actually writing to your TD and saying, this is an issue. And people don't really understand. Like, TDs get afraid when they get like 10 emails talking about one issue. They genuinely do and it frightens them. And that's what we need to do to put the pressure, pressure in numbers. It takes two seconds. They're saying we are in a global catastrophe. There is a way out of this through the TRIPS waiver and through a CTAP, a mechanism which we can share tech know-how. Um, why aren't you supporting this? Why isn't Ireland supporting this? Um, so, so they are very concrete things you can do. And then of course, support and follow the people's, uh, vaccine Alliance as well on Twitter. So, um, I, I think they're very simple, but concrete things we can do. Brill, Robbie Lawler, co-founder of Access to Medicines Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us. What's getting in the sea this week, Andrea? This week, getting in the sea um, is the overturning of the Strand Road cycle development. Um, And more, that's in bits in itself, but now there's a pushback against cycle paths that have happened during the pandemic that uh, should be pushed back as well, that there'll be cases taken. Mannix Flynn has come out and said that he's had uh, people onto him that would like to uh, bring cases about the cycle lanes that have been implemented. And uh, his the quote from the article in the Irish Times says, he said he has already been contacted by several residence groups who wish to take action against new cycling infrastructure, which has restricted traffic movements or taken road space away from cars, including the Black Rock Sandy Cove path. God forbid we take a bit of space away from cars. Mannix Flynn, champion of the people, friend of the artist, always out there fighting the good fight for what people in the city need. Now, on the psychopath. <laughs> Sorry, right? I just can't. Like, I just can't with this. I mean, first of all, it's an issue with objectionism in general and the court system and how the law can overturn that. But imagine picking this, this thing as your, you know, this is what I'm going to go for. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, there is a bigger conversation. And like, I am very supportive of psychopaths. But if at the same time, we if we are going to be restricting car movement, now it's not that they're being restricted, they can still go other ways, but that we increase public transport, that yeah. we increase the other services. So we can't just be taking like, trying to change society without putting the supports in place for people who are commuting for people blah 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 all that kind of jazz so yeah yeah. totally fine but like that's you know it's a related but different conversation like because this isn't about you know people commuting or or getting you know like vulnerable people getting from a to b or something this is sandy mount we're talking about it's people wealthy people 
who live in the village who are pissed off that they won't be able to zip around or that there will be traffic, more traffic rerouted to them. Total short term thinking. You know, I just, I, you know, we're, we need to be looking at a city that where there's dramatically fewer cars, dramatically fewer. They're a waste of space. They're, pollute, they're polluters. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I fail to see how any kind of progress could come down on the side of people driving their fucking cars around the place. Sorry. How are we ever going to get a 15 minute city if we don't eradicate cars? Someone needs to get James, Jamie G on the phone. Uh, I totally interrupted your get in the sea there, Andre. I'm sorry. Well, we both agree it can get in the sea. And now it's time for... In the sandy men sea. In this, oh, um, walk your mile out there to the tide and get in the sea. Okay. And now it's time for... It's bananas. I have a habit of repeating my It's Bananas sometimes um, and usually it is to do with whitewater rafting but I am going I'm going in again for maternity restrictions how in God's name and Goddess's name is these maternity restrictions still going there's like there's so much pushback against it yet the political will doesn't seem to be there to force parents to be able to see the birth of their own children. I just can't get over the fact that it is a conversation that is continuing. And I think there was a tweet the other day about, so obviously the um, National Maternity Hospital stuff is ongoing. Um, and it's like, we are going to pass from Delada now. The businessman is coming in going, look, we'll give you assurances. You can, we'll definitely be able to do a maternity the way you want to. Um, and then it's like, how can we accept those assurances if the HSC can't even get parents into the birth of their own children? Now, obviously, the HSC fund these uh, charity hospitals, um, but don't have control over them. And it is a, a decision for each of those. But I just think it is outrageously bananas that these restrictions are still in place, that you can go for dinner inside, you can go to watch football, you can go to the GAA, you can do your training, but you can't be there to find out that your uh, partner is miscarrying, that you can't be there to see the birth of your child. I just think it is absolutely barbaric and I think it's so sad that women are being made once again go through these things on their own and that fathers are miss and and maybe mothers or whatever concoction of families are being made up uh, are missing out on the, these things and providing support um, in these times. I just think it is absolutely outrageous. Hmm. I think we, there's a broader conversation that needs to be had around how parents don't necessarily use their political capital. Now, I know that's down to, you know, time, for example, because you're raising children and it is very, uh, takes a lot, like takes a lot of energy and time and you probably don't have, you know, the opportunity or space to be or energy to be a little activist on the corner or something. But when you think about how many parents there are in the country and how political parties, particularly Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, are all about young families this, young families that. Yet some of the biggest issues that we face in this country, from maternity care to the insane cost of childcare to the religiosity in schools, are don't seem to get the uh, type of like public lobbying power or activism or street level protest that other issues do. And I wonder how different the country would be if parents organised en masse. It's a big ask, obviously, because again, people don't have time when they are raising kids. But it, it always kind of strikes me, like I'm not a parent, so it always strikes me that it's kind of, what would that look like if, there were bajillions of like families on the streets calling for uh, change on 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 these issues. It would I'd t- tell you what it would probably change pretty quickly because it would be terrifying to politicians and government. 
So what are you saying? We're going to have babies and lead the revolution. Well, yes. <laughs> Boss baby. Uh, no, I think that if um, parents did organise and if, you know, if there were massive protests by young families about childcare, about equality in education and about maternity care, which there have been maternity care protests related to the National Maternity Hospital, of course, and obviously a massive movement with regards to um, reproductive rights. I just think it would, it would, things would look quite different. I think that, you know, you saw what happened when the government freaked out about that estate in Maynooth because it was like, this is an estate for young families and first time buyers, as opposed to like all of the apartment blocks uh, in Dublin, for example. So I think that, that this is a, it's a, actually quite an easy political trigger to pull from an, from a, an organising and protest point of view. And if there were giant protests by parents, by young families on these issues, the politicians would have to listen, listen because they perceive these, this, you know, very, very diverse uh, demographic. Obviously, it's not a monolith or whatever. They perceive that as, as where a lot of political power lies in the same way that like when pensioners go out in the streets, things change very quickly as opposed to when students do, which, you know, government politicians don't see as, as you know, people who are going to be supporting them anyway. So anyway, just, just a thought. Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for our fave bits. Andrea, I want to hear about your fave bits and brighten up my day. My fave bits this week uh, was listening to Annie Mac's last show at the weekend. Um, it was very emotional. It was lovely to watch. It was lovely to see her getting to say goodbye. Um, it was full of tuna chicken rolls. Absolute bangers. Um, and je, je love Annie Mac. Uh, my other fave bit, and you can listen back to it and I would highly recommend it. Um, my other fave bit... Oh, sweating like my mouth is literally drooling every time I look at it anything to do with it is the House of Gucci trailer oh my god it's been like every image that's been released like imagine the 80s tacky love fest that I have in my head it's literally coming out in this trailer and it's like uh, Lady Gaga as a, an Italian 80s tack machine oh I can't get an absolute enough of it and it's really reaffirming and giving validation to my to my eye of tack that people are also loving it. Mm-hmm. It's like, guys, thank you. I've been talking about how delicious tack is for years and now you're getting on board with it. I'm so happy. Um, yeah, it's, it's high, high, high camp. Although I am confused by the fact that Gaga seems to have a Russian accent in it. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Even Just better. Let- let the feast of beauty go through your eyes. Oh, I am fizzing first. Uh, that is definitely like a stab with the girls and cocktails. Um, can't wait. Um, my other fifth bit, it's not, well, I suppose sport is culture. Uh, the two high jumpers having their moment where they both got gold and they were going to like split it and they're like, can we both have gold? And then they're like, yeah, yeah. And then they jumped all over each other. It's like, ah! oh it was so it was just so gorgeous it was just that's that's sport if you ask me now that's sport um I loved it oh it just makes me so happy um and also I thought this is lovely uh the vaccine designer Dame Sarah Gilbert has been made into a Barbie like the doll oh that's interesting yeah that's like is that I I is that a major deal? I think if you are to look at children loving playing with Barbies and dolls and the journey they've gone on from being these big titted, long legged, blonde haired bimbo dolls who uh, are now becoming dolls of vaccine designers, that's a fucking big deal. I love it. Yeah. I'd love to see what the conspiracy theorists uh, say about that. <laughs> no, I don't want to know. Um, the great fave bits. Yeah, what are yours? Um, so my fave bits, I was on my holidays last week and I was in Berra again. Well, I'm obsessed with the Berra Peninsula. And I went to see a forest there 
um, which is like a rainforest that um, has been fenced around and, 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 and got a guide to it. And it was just so, so beautiful and gorgeous. It's like a cool, as in temperature wise, rainforest, uh, which are all of our hills should be covered in if we didn't um, sacrifice them to grazing animals. And it was magical. And there were, I saw loads of different kinds of lichens and mosses and ferns and ivies and different kinds of trees. And I heard a jaybird and it was gorge. Can I interject there for one minute? You I can indeed. There. I always do this in your favorites every single week. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot one thing. But this is big news for our listeners. You may recall when we did 32 counties, 32 questions. And we did our county facts and the Cliffs of Mower was always a bone of contention because I could never figure out which county it was in. Yes. I'm going to the Cliffs of Mower next week. Oh my God. Can we have a live stream, please, on Twitch? Sure. I'm excited for you. Cliffs of Mower, delightful. Awesome. I'm actually going to see the Cliffs of Mower. Amazing. Where I go. (laughs) (laughs) Cliffs of Mower in County Down. Um, My other fave bit is I... I don't, I just, I, there's certain reality television that I can really get on board with, uh, even though I know that it is totally artificial and whatever, look, all caveats aside, but I just watched an entire series of Rap Game UK the other night um, on the BBC. It's like a reality TV thing for MCs in the UK. It's a talent show, essentially. But the the stories are the personal stories are just very compelling, and I get completely sucked in by the structure of the production. For falling for something that's been made to make you want to like it. Oh yeah, yeah okay. Um, My other fave bit you referenced the high jumpers there. I have been in a complete trance with the Olympics, apart from the week I was away, or the five days I was away, or whatever. I'm just watching hours and hours of it a day, (laughs) like. I just cannot get enough. I'm always this way with the Olympics, but I think because life is still on hold that it is very, like after the Euros finished, I was um, very bereft. And uh, so now I'm just really getting heavily invested in like, the you know really tall beach volleyball guy from Brazil who's like really carrying that duo or you know the women's badminton or Italian uh, swimmer huh. no I haven't huh. watched much swimming actually me either I just saw a picture <laughs> so yeah and I'm absolutely buzzing for Kelly Harrington as well um so yeah just kind of in a trance with the Olympics. My other five bits, I know we mentioned earlier the difficulties with the live event sector ongoing, uh, but big up all the actual gigs and festivals happening um, in real life, like Meadows at Emma, Love is a Stranger, Kalyan Manor and Meath, AVA in Belfast, the set theatre shows in Kilkenny, there's outdoor shows in bars as well, Cork. So find something that's on if you can. Scooter. Huh? Scooters on up north fucking go for it uh yeah so and on that note looking forward looking forward to the future uh to clubs strings is new club night from foggy notions um happening in november it begins with lorraine james lost lane in november and moat selector at the button factory in the same month so hopefully we'll be having a bop by then and my final fave bit andrea was uh the podcast episode you did last week a fascinating conversation about creating temporary cultural and hospitality venues, um, about Alta, about the culture castle that's going to be made from scaffolding in Dublin. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, do give it a listen. It is loaded with information and yeah, just really, really great insights. So thank you for that, Andrea. You're very welcome. Also, can I add, uh, if this goes out today, which is Wednesday, the 8th is on after the 9 o'clock news tonight. Fantastic. Everyone watch. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack and Sarah Fox did all our design. And our tuna chicken roll this week is was Annie Mac's final song she played on her show. It is an absolute banger. It's an absolute tuna, absolute chicken, absolute roll. Uh, DJ Rolando, Knights of the Jaguar. I've been Una Mullally. 
And I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was the People's Vaccine.